0: we see a lot of the folks that are not getting it right. I think there's a strong argument that people could get it right on their own if they're completely in tune and have the right amount of experience.
1: We'll get it right as well as with the tools and the data that's available to them in a reasonable manner. It's not like this is exorbitantly expensive that you can't use this data along with other testing data. And then from those tools those different data points and different insights coming up with an ideal personalized training plan lifestyle plan quite honestly that really fit you with regards to training with regards to sleep with regards to nutrition with regards to recovery so that you're putting that all into an individual custom tailored plan that you based on with some help maybe from coaching as well as other experts that you can literally see how and feel how you're progressing optimally for yourself.
0: Yes and knowing what the problem could be once you have a profile on yourself. I know for me I I utilize iron at a very high rate and if I am really ramping up my training and I start to get fatigued because I haven't paid enough attention to my diet i know what it most likely is and i can just take action and i'm going to know in days based on how i feel whether or not those right action
1: yeah iron is a pretty quick hit yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you feel that pretty quickly you sure do <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode 170. My job is to help prepare athletes, any one of you, for the endurance adventures you are curious about, not only in events but also self-curated adventures, multi-day stage races and expeditions around the world. I not only coach these events, I live them, do them, organize them, and have competed in them at the highest level for many years. But most importantly, I love this lifestyle, the health and wellness it brings about physically and mentally, the connection to the outdoors and nature. It shifts our perspective. It takes us into a world we are meant to be in. Nature, endurance, strength, mindset, and the potential that each brings with it. I not only coach for outstanding fitness these adventures require, but also the mindset, strategy, and focus in order to thrive, not just survive these events. You might think this means primarily elite athletes. No, not at all actually spend most of my time helping endurance athletes maximize performance despite busy schedules and life priorities. Masters athletes, those who went pro in something other than the sports and adventures they endeavor. That's the challenge. How do we participate in this lifestyle despite family, career, community, etc.? Too often, I've come across athletes that, to use a quote from Richard Wright, their impulse to dream has slowly been beaten out of them by the experiences of life. We don't want that. Let's strive towards the dreams we are capable of that can still be achieved. Let's use the experiences of life to enable those adventures and to dream even bigger. This is my mission as a coach helping athletes discover the endurance athlete that lies within all of us and working with them to systematically pursue that goal in a healthy and sustainable manner. This podcast is about the endurance lifestyle, the mindset, the supporting infrastructure for you to achieve endurance adventures, for you to be able to go out and do the adventures you're curious about, to follow through on that impulse to dream. What does it take? How does it work? Why not me? And what are all the ingredients that make this journey a successful one? That's what I'm here to unlock for you on this podcast to discuss the endurance lifestyle with you along with all its ingredients and amazing changes it can bring about. Also, to answer some of the typical questions many of you may have on how to integrate this curiosity and dream with the reality of our everyday life and responsibilities. This week, we dive into a conversation with the founder of the Athlete Blood Test. This conversation is interesting for all of us as endurance athletes because. So often, we've talked on this podcast about the different data inputs we use in order to optimize our training time, as well as what signals we're listening to. So, that ties into how we stare at our power meter on our bike, how we're constantly looking at heart rate while running or cycling, or how we're thinking about pace constantly when running. And many of you have heard over the many, well, 170 podcasts how I want us to understand to listen to our body because that's the best marker still with regards to our training and our performance listening to our body and we use power and lactate testing and heart rate zone testing and field testing, as well as the data inputs from the training to help us narrow down where we need to be with our training, but not necessarily are dictated by it. A power meter, yeah, a watt is a watt is a watt, is everywhere, going uphill, bad weather, snow, whatever it is, it's still a watt. But if we constantly hold on to a certain wattage range, we are going to train ourselves into the ground or overtrain or get injured and therefore no longer training. Similarly, if we're staring at heart rate too much, we wanna be able to listen to our body, to use heart rate as another data input to how we're feeling what we're observing what we're noticing same as pace all these inputs are inputs that work with what we're feeling what sensations we're observing what signals we're hearing and receiving from the body when we have a good sense on how to combine all these inputs we'll be able to optimize our training and also importantly optimize our recovery therefore the adaptation for the next training session and our ability to truly grow in fitness and as athletes. So the athlete blood test today is an interesting conversation about another data input. What they specialize in is individually tailored blood biomarker testing to help you dial in your nutrition recovery, training, and performance. What does that mean? Well, they take a blood draw And they analyze the data for you as an athlete versus just a medical generic result. And they give you valuable input with regards to how to optimize your training. And most importantly, I think, how to optimize your sleep and nutrition and so forth. Especially from a nutrition standpoint, what you'll hear in the podcast is how it's heavily weighted in order, again, to optimize your training. So many times athletes just think, and it's a it's a misnomer in the community of endurance training anyway, more training is better. But if we're not recovering, if we're not absorbing, if we're not adapting to that training, well, more training isn't going to do us any good. And then we're back to that conversation of, am I optimizing the limited training time I have as a master's athlete, like we talked about in the intro We all went pro in something else, and so I have these limited windows, and I want to be consistent over a long period of time. How do I do that? And in order to do that, the more inputs, insights you have into how you're responding to the training, adapting the training, absorbing the training, the better and more individually tailored you can make it to you. One thing we dive into is a conversation around overtraining and what that means and how a good blood test can give you good insights with regards to that. But it's individually tailored. It shows what you need in order to be successful. And we touch also a little bit on the back end of the podcast about how females need a different type of test and they are not just small men and why this is so important for them. But what I really enjoyed about the conversation is that Garrick, the founder of the Athlete Blood Test, sees this testing very similar to how we discuss it here on the podcast with regards to that it is an insight. It is a, a snapshot a picture in time of who you are as an athlete and as I joke with him about it um, he doesn't take a lot of advantage on repeat business and I say that you know in jest because he is able to and their team of scientists is able to sort of project forward what you need and it shouldn't be a constant testing question because then Either they're not doing it right or other things are happening with regards to that we're not improving with regards to the markers on the blood test. So I think you'll find this conversation interesting. I think you'll enjoy some of David's scientific inputs as well as just a harmonious conversation around how to have the best possible outcomes. And you will be able to find most of their information on athletebloodtest.com. We are here, joined today by Garrett Rock from The Athlete's Blood Test. So Garrett, welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So what is it? that the athlete blood test, I mean, the name is obviously very catchy (laughs) and it pretty much captures exactly what it is you do or what you intend to do. So maybe um, a brief description of what it is you're looking to offer with the athlete's blood test and how you've seen that through over the years and where you are with it.
0: Sure. So we've been around since late 2007 and It began as a study with elite Ironman athletes. And what we aim to do is to precision profile individuals and create a profile of how they're using certain micronutrients, macronutrients, how their body responds to training, to recovery, and several other factors so that we can ultimately provide an ideal diet that's tailored to their active lifestyle, and sort of a a wellness plan. And we're primarily trying to optimize performance. But, you know, when you're looking at, you know, athletes and the stresses that we put on our bodies, this delivers a a, a, a optimizing wellness component as well, and just how we feel.
1: So how frequently would you test this? Because it sounds like something that would Need a variety of markers or slash frequency with regards to the testing?
0: Yeah, this is an area that is progressing quite rapidly. Um, you know, in the past and in our early research and in our early offering, we didn't have access to genetic testing like we do now. But ultimately, you know, if I could reword that question, it would be what does it take to, to create predictability in? in an individual and how their physiology reacts to the, you know, their lifestyle. And in the past, we used to say that, you know, three tests is this magic number. And if those three tests are performed at different phases of activity throughout the year, many of us, um, you mentioned master's athlete, I would fall into that category. I have You know my on season, my peak season, and my off season, and by tracking utilization of you know certain nutrients, micronutrients, of uh, how our bodies are hormonally responding to exercise at these different phases, we can create a prediction of you know what's going to happen in the future. So that used to take, like I said, about three tests taken at different phases. Now we have access to better genetic data than we've ever had. And so we're able to get to better predictability more quickly in, in individuals. So uh, we've expanded our offerings to combine both blood and genetic tests uh, in order to get to a, a, a predictable state more quickly, ideally in, in one test, maybe two tests.
1: Yeah. And so that's not reactionary in the action of, let's say, how you're currently eating that week or even within the day. So the difference there between, let's say, uh, let's say a continuous glucose monitor captures data and you're constantly getting live almost feedback. How does this delayed... 2 3 months at a time feedback in the blood and combined with genetic testing uh, give you that picture give you those insights
0: so testing genetics are, it's really going to give you tendencies predispositions but genetics you know or genetic expression is influenced by the environment and there's a whole study on this called epigenetics and i'm sure many of your users have heard of this and One of the keys to creating predictability in how an individual's physiology will respond to a certain diet, to certain activities, is to identify, number one, what their predispositions are. You know, are they a rapid absorber of iron? Are they a slow absorber of iron? Um, And then to compare them to, you know, what is more of a real-time test, which is blood, now, blood is going to, it's not what you ate yesterday, today, you know, like a glucose monitor. It's, it's really, depending on the nutrient, you know, going to give you a, a snapshot of the last two to four weeks and three months for some nutrients. And so by seeing both the blood and the genetics, we're seeing how the environment is influencing, you know, our predispositions.
1: Okay. And so those are primarily the inputs with regards to environment and the stressors we put on it. Correct. Gotcha. And so environment includes also a training environment as well as, so it's not just nutrition based um, and gut absorption as well as overall physical stress but it's just our, also our day-to-day living and how we're going about that with regards to sleep, recovery, um, and overall stressors.
0: Yes, and, and this is where the word environment in, you know, in the field that I live in is understood to be this all-encompassing, um, you know, outside, non-hereditary factors, but to many listeners, that might mean weather. And so when we speak about environment, in looking at blood testing, genetic testing, we're talking about the microflora in your gut. We're talking about the elevation that you live at. We're talking about the temperatures that you're exposed to. We're talking about your training combination. Is that running? Is that weightlifting, behavioral influences, uh, you know, stress, uh, psychological stress? Yeah, it is pretty much anything that is non hereditary.
1: Gotcha. And so does that, for example, like you just caught me with a question in there, for example, are you able to determine how well your body will react to or absorb, let's say, strength training, or if you're more prone to endurance training versus um, explosive, shorter, powerful sprint intervals? um, Can it help with those insights? It
0: can. And and it's not In exact science,
1: yeah. Um,
0: I think that we'll get there, but what we can see is, is recoverability or gain insight into. So your, your hormone profile, the inflammatory profiles following activity or, or, um, when we test, you know, during peak training, give us an idea of, you know, how, inflamed your muscles, become post activity. How quickly they're going to recover from muscle breakdown. And if you're somebody that's a, a slow recoverer, then you know high intensity training frequently is just going to lead to you know progressive breakdown in a season if you don't break that up with you know frequent download weeks. And so one of the outputs that we provide in our reports is you know what is the best type of training for you based on your physiological profile based on your genetic profile and is that you're somebody that you're a you're a beast you recover really quickly you can go out and hammer yourself every single day and do just fine and we've all heard those stories we yeah you know, those are the motivation stories that uh, we see somebody who just goes and works really really hard all of the time and then we could try and do that and you know we just find ourselves exhausted and broken down. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that is that is key information that we can identify or, or give an insight into.
1: So it almost has an opportunity to to sort of capture with science and data this myth that many think is a myth. I don't call it a myth. I've seen it too often <laughs> in life of training and coaching, of overtraining syndrome and truly showing that hormonal uh response and that fatigue as well as the shutdown, breakdown and so forth.
0: Absolutely. And and I mentioned in the beginning, you know, this concept of precision profiling. That's ultimately, you know, the goal and, and really the future of training. Um, you know, I grew up In a world in which we all train the same, and some people responded really well to it, some people didn't respond really well to it. And what athlete blood tests and and others in this field are really bringing is, is an acknowledgement and proof that each of us will respond to training to diets differently, and and identifying what is best for the individual. is the key to getting the most out of ourselves, whether that's, you know, in our sporting event or or just feeling our best every single day.
1: So would any of these insights also um, limit our ability to do said event? Let's say, you know, your ability to do an Ironman, your ability to do a 100-mile run, or is it more just optimizing the work that you are doing as you endeavor for that, let's say, a uh, big distance.
0: Boy, that's that's a tough question. I, I feel like that slips into more of a philosophical um, yeah. realm. In that, you know, humans are gritty, and and we can get through things that are far beyond what our, our minds can even, you know, often comprehend. And so, I believe that it doesn't prevent people from being able to complete. But how you approach it, um, science can help you uh, approach it in a way that's going to be most enjoyable, comfortable, and and uh, you know uh, successful in whatever way a, a person defines success.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking of those rare cases. For example, let's say you have an iron deficiency and your ability to truly absorb iron effectively, let's say at all, um, without, let's say transfusion that there's no real supplementation or diet adjustment for that and so there I would almost tend to say as a coach of endurance athletes it'd be like well you might struggle with this dramatically because other than constantly (laughs) going to see a doctor and going through that difficult process of getting that taken care of maybe we should look at something else is that Something that you, for example, say, yeah, that's a reality. That for some people, it could be that difficult.
0: Yeah, I'm over here nodding my head um, because we do see those cases. Yeah, and in our preference is almost always to work with coaches um, whenever possible. We do have a direct to consumer you know experience, but those sorts of decisions they they kind of require a support team and and shared decision making and. And it's why we really strive to work through that support team, which would be your coach in most cases. But yeah, yeah, there are, there are cases. And, and I mean, there are many of them that come through where it's going to create a difficulty that, or a challenge that somebody's going to have to make a decision about. Is it worth it or not?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And then you mentioned earlier with regards to tendencies um, that you can sort of determine and, and display the tendencies of what our body can do and what we're actually capable of with regards to epigenetics. How reliable are those tendencies do you feel? like Is that a 90%, 80% ratio, or is it almost bomb-proof as in 100%?
0: Yeah, I would I would never say anything in science is 100% it it uh, continues to change but the genetic testing is it's accurate if we look at correlative data meaning you know what does the genetic tendency um, predict and what is the actual you know or the reality so you know let's use micronutrients being there a really easy one and and let's use iron for example i'm going to i don't have these numbers in front of me and unfortunately they're not committed to memory but you know let's say that uh, 20% of of our users on the genetic profile are have low genetic affinity meaning they're very likely to be low in iron because of you know a hereditary reaction such as absorption rates the reality is that you know about somewhere probably 60 70 percent and i can actually look up this data we have it but uh, are actually going to be low and there's a high percent that are not going to be low and there's even going to be a percent that are going to be high and so you can't rely on genetic profiles only Mm -hmm. to predict what the actual levels are going to be in the blood and, and that's because of this, these environmental influences.
1: Yeah. yeah. So still pretty reliable tendencies, but, you know, nothing's absolute.
0: I, I would never recommend an action based solely on a genetic profile.
1: Yeah. So let's just go through the process. So you uh, order a blood test via the website, or let's say with your coach or your support um, group, let's say it's a a team, and then uh, you go to a lab, get your blood drawn, and then that gets uh, sent in uh, with the uh, packaging you send to the said athlete, and then it takes a few weeks, I'm assuming, to then get the data back to you guys. You interpret the data, you go through it, and then you um, deliver on a report, and then you follow up with the athlete with, a uh, let's say, a consult to go over the report or discuss what's in the report, or is it just a uh, report sent to the athlete? What's the sort of process step-by-step?
0: Yeah, so... The the athletes do they show up to a lab all they have to bring is is the email that it, that's sent to them um, they get there their blood drawn um, and we do this through LabCorp so uh, as well as a number of other labs but it's a it's readily available for most people and usually within three to five days they have their report back if it's blood only mm-hmm. genetics takes a few weeks. And so what we do if you're getting a genetics plus blood test is we're going to report on the blood findings in that three to five days, and then we're going to add the genetic considerations after those come in and merge the two um, tests. The athletes then have the option to consult with one of our experts. The, The utilization of that is actually quite low. Um, yeah. most people, uh, we do provide a long form report, uh, meaning, you know, somebody is actually, you know, hand typing a lot of the considerations in there and, and we try and make it conversational. Um, and my sense is that is enough for people that most people don't, you know, take the extra step of the consult.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think that might be just because it's an intimidating field of <laughs> uh, of, of science slash knowledge that they're just not familiar with the questions or how to approach it, or is it just more just the follow through It
0: might be and and I would love to believe that we're you know a warm welcoming body, and we sure try to be um, so that if people do have questions, we'd rather have them come to us you know it it might also be fear of getting charged for things that they weren't Mm -hmm. expecting i'm not sure but our our entity is not is not that way and and we have people on every single report we do not algorithm reports there are some things that you can algorithm um, with blood tests and, and do so very accurately but in our algorithm study the one study that we did and this was a while ago we were failing. 30% 30% of the time, or the algorithm failed 30% of the time. So they have access to the, the very people that are in their report. And for your users, I would encourage them to take advantage of that if, they, if they're if they inclined.
1: So so door to door from ordering the test on the site all the way through to receiving a report, let's say just blood um, for now. We're talking a 10-day window?
0: Well, it can be as short as three days. You could Put your order in in the morning have your email within usually within an hour or two and show up to the lab that day and the fastest we can report is two days later because the lab usually takes a day or two um, but we do we we try to get these out as quickly as possible most people are not thinking well ahead when they order our tests um, when we do user surveys. Uh, we found that, you know, a lot of times it's, I've got a race in five weeks. And uh, ideally, we would have had this information, you know, four weeks before that. So we can. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it's...
1: But that's yeah just not the case. (laughs) So you're saying, but that actually brings up a good point. So you'd want one in each one of these training phases, sort of pre-season, peak uh, training season, and then sort of off-season just to see how the body's responding, absorbing, adapting.
0: That allows us to create a quite clear and predictive picture of, of how a person's physiology works and how it will work in response to this upcoming, you know, stresses, whether that's training stress. Well, I mean, training stress is what we're focused on. Yeah.
1: So, yes. And so I would assume that over time, let's say I do this for let's say 2-3 years because I go through each one of these phases, I make the adjustments that are necessary in order to optimize those outcomes and then I get new data to show that I've optimized that and continue to be able to demonstrate those improvements or apply improvements? Or is there sort of a limitation on how much we can continue to use the newer data to continue to optimize outcomes?
0: Yeah, that's an unanswered question right now. Um, You know, as we have longer data, so, you know, we've We've got some users, and and uh, we were only in the research arena for quite a while, and then the elite and professional space for until 2017. So we do have you know longitudinal data on you know those folks. We're getting to longitudinal data on the the masters athletes, the more recreational athletes. So right now, what our data shows is that once we have that profile and you know somebody showing consistency in maintaining optimal that retains that way so we don't see a need for long term testing or you know testing every single year mm. but that could change in the future you know we do go through life changes as we age you know our our ability to absorb certain nutrients macro and micro changes and And uh, the hypothesis would be that at some point, you essentially have a a different system than you're working with, but how many years in between, we're not sure. Thus far, our data says, you know, once we profile and optimize, you should be able to maintain that without testing.
1: Yeah. And so I'm sure people would question or have a question around how manipulated or how they could manipulate or the impact of certain, let's say, nutrients or supplements or um, other factors that they're, you know, either shoving in their body or applying to their body, um, how that affects blood data. Because it sounds to me the way you're describing it, explaining it, that it shouldn't necessarily dramatically have that big of an impact because you have such a forward-looking, big macro picture profile. Or is that incorrect?
0: that is correct our data is robust enough that if somebody is currently taking you know let's call it supplements we we see that we can identify that we also can in most cases identify whether that's a good or bad approach we have some wildly interesting data on people that are taking supplements and the incidence of either deficiencies or or excesses of of certain micronutrients, and uh, a lot of our, you know, broad population-based approaches, like multivitamins is a good example, um, <laughs> yeah. they just... I well, I put
1: bluntly, they, they just yeah. don't work. You know? I was waiting for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, going this is <laughs> good. We're <Yeah>. <laughs> this I was trying to think if I say it out loud. Um, yeah,
1: No, no, we, we hope you do because I fully <laughs> agree with you. On yeah, but go into <laughs> that, please. So,
0: yeah, So, um, so using an example of, of just our big key nutrients, people that are taking multivitamins, so here's what we see with the incidence data of you know, iron deficiencies. The incidence of iron deficiency in people taking a multivitamin reduces about 10%. But that 10% is from, you know, 30%. And everything says, you know, multivitamin, when you look at a broad population, it will reduce the incidence of certain deficiencies, but it increases the incidence of certain excesses b12 is a a, you know one that we see all of the time but at the individual level its ability to predict whether or not somebody will be deficient or in excess is actually quite poor and so it's it's just a strategy that i mean it it just doesn't work if you look at the you know like i said the population-based data or you take a big cohort let's say 10,000 people and pull them in, it'll have a marginal, marginal positive effect. But at the individual level, for some people, it's oftentimes doing more harm than good.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, certain excesses, um, you know, there are a lot of related micronutrients. Take folate and B12, for example. You know, those two, one in excess can affect the other. One in deficiency can affect the other. The way that the folate is methylated is impacted by B twelve. So the the optimal approach, if there needs to be intervention, it should be targeted intervention. A shotgun approach usually comes with potential side effects. Plus, not to mention just the cost of, you know, shotgun yeah. approaches not being they're just not an economical way to Fixed problems, so you know I I live in this data and um, and so it's easy for me to you know sit over here and say you know identify what you really need, what you don't need, and and just tailor around that. The other thing is just you know diet should be the preferred approach always. You know using food as medicine, and and sometimes that can be done, sometimes it can't. You know what we eat now is not what we what was made by this earth, but uh, it's still, you know, with the right guidance and with the right knowledge, you know, from testing, uh, you know, you should be able to to mostly take care of your needs via diet um, other than, you know, hereditary predispositions or certain environmental uh, influences, things like microflora, intestinal absorption, uh, emotional stress that can affect absorption, etc.,
1: that's a rabbit yeah. hole we could go down for hours, of- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially this day and age. Yes, <clears throat> but it also—I mean, it's, this is what I would call a—it's uh, a complicated, but yet there's a solution. There's a path. There's a clear path towards an outcome, um, and it doesn't need to be that difficult, as you say, with regards to a clean, um, well thought out diet and what you're putting into your body. Um, it's what I often talk about on this podcast with regards to we don't treat our cars like that why would we treat our body like that and you know we don't just do a a full-on um re- remodel or or just all kinds of junk into our car if we wanted to perform better we would take a targeted approach like you said and and you know put the right fuel in and uh take care of the engine in a specific way so i i I hear you with regards to the supplements, which a lot of people, in my opinion, again, my opinion here, just take, it makes them feel better that they think that they're doing something to help themselves. (laughs) So, and (laughs) versus doing the work of, all right, well, why don't I spend some more time into specifically targeting my nutrition so that I get the nutrients macro and micro that I need. And over time, observe the benefits that come from it versus feeling as though a quick daily multivitamin is the easy, oh, I'm getting all my nutritional value out of this supplement. And as David knows, I constantly preach on this podcast, if you think you're getting nutrition from supplements, you got it all wrong.
0: (laughs) Uh, Our data would suggest that you're right. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So that's actually with, with the data, it also sounds to me as though, you know, as I'm thinking through different ways to apply the test is, and the data is for, uh, high school teams and college teams, especially let's take a running or a track team where different athletes have different needs with regards to how they're absorbing the training and what kind of training they need and how to optimize their training time. I can see that that's extremely helpful to, um, creating an overall team that is better due to the individual training plans and absorption of the training recovery and so forth um, for each individual athlete.
0: Yeah, definitely. And in our biggest growing segment is teams. Uh, We work with probably a majority of our elite and professional endurance teams in in the United States. Um, We also um, are present in some of our you know, huge sports markets, the, the NFL being one, Major League Baseball, um, and then a lot of individuals, you know, across others as well. You know, with teams, there's there's challenges, and the challenge is in the delivery system and liabilities and who owns the data and, you know, all of those things that require attorney involvement um <laughs> you and, mean a player's union
1: <laughs> when i, I, I was gonna say it <laughs> when we're talking blood and a player's union it's a very hot topic <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly yes yeah. yeah so um your teams in the major markets have to find their way around that and some of them have um some of them have not um and we end up working with individual or or athletes at the individual level, but you know, in our the endurance community is it, it's it's different. Um, we don't have unions, players' unions, and, and so <laughs> they have <nothing>. we've got, <laughs> we've got a, a heavy presence in in that market.
1: So let's move more to the big picture approach for masters athletes and those with limited time, and why they shouldn't be doing this. Um, for me, the the question now becomes. All right. We're trying to maximize the limited training time that masters athletes have. Um, and a lot of times athletes in in this realm of endurance, triathletes, ultra runners, um, multi-diet adventure racers and so forth are trying to fit training time into the rest of their lives, right? Kids requirements and career and family and community and so forth. So there's this sort of, um, Mindset of, oh, I'm just gonna use my time to train. I'm not going to think about all these extra things um, and you know, overthink the diet or overthink how I'm recovering. I'm not training enough anyway, so why do I need to think about recovery? So where does because I personally know the answer to this, but I would love to hear it from you, Garrett, about how this additional insight approach, data can be so critical, quite honestly, in once again maximizing the limited training time we have.
0: Yeah, my mind drifts to just how the importance of how efficient we have to be in you know making the most of our our journey um, into these events, and and so there's a, a few considerations here. So number one, when did you get into this? Journey this sport, and you know when you look at you know the world's best, and and we work with a ton of these, um, and have for a long time. It is so interesting. There is a, a a far less incidence of problems in the world's most elite than there are in people just getting into, uh, especially you know endurance sports. And some might say that they're just gifted that physiologically, they're just, you know, animals made for this. And, and I would argue that based on data that we have. Instead, I would argue that these folks have spent so much time in this sort of training that their bodies have told them which direction to go. They've told them what the perfect meal is um, for recovery, et cetera, et cetera. And they've also had access to it. To experts. Um, But even if we eliminate the expert opinions, you still see people who spend a ton of time in a particular activity drifting towards optimization. Now we get into, you know, masters athletes. You know, who is the population? I don't know if I want to dive too much into this, but our users would suggest we've got, you know, what would be called type A personalities, really driven folks, folks that. Are not just excellent at being active and and training for something, you know, what would be considered crazy by many others, but they also take that same intensity to other aspects of their life. And so, because of that, and because of entering into these sports or ramping up into longer and longer distances, to me, this is about becoming you only have so many years to figure out, you know, how you're going to feel good in this endeavor before it's just not, it's going to compromise either your relationship, your job, or or something that is also important. So the sort of data that we're collecting allows people to learn those
1: things more efficiently. So uh, I almost hear a burnout conversation there with regards to Uh, uh, not only mentally, but physically back to the overtraining aspect, um, even the latest dopamine conversation of uh, crashing and just being low for weeks, months, because, you know, going back to par slash baseline, this newest sort of way of looking at that, is that sort of, what good insights from how our body is responding to the training, working with the training, how the testing can be helpful.
0: Yes, that. And, and then, of course, your diet, a, a big component of testing is, is identifying how an individual's body utilizes micronutrients and macronutrients. So, you know, and, and that is a key component to our recovery and also over time you know how are they responding to the training so if we get a test in the off season and then in the middle of the season see the hormone pro- profile going through wild changes that are suggestive of you know, essentially burning out mm-hmm. or burning too hot then there's an imbalance and and when you have to balance you know your sport or your training your your family and and work and all of those things you know, sports shouldn't, probably shouldn't be the one that's, that's burning you out. But so often it is because probably because of that dopamine response, I, you know, I need that daily.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking also cortisol levels and so forth that you're identifying in order to see that sort of stress burn, overload.
0: Yep, so cortisol in the shorter term and then sex hormone binding globulin um, Mm -hmm. and testosterone, free testosterone, that ratio and seeing what, what sex hormone binding globulin is doing over time, those give you a really good indication of how you're doing with that balance.
1: That's interesting to me because also thinking about athletes because this is the fourth or fifth time that you sort of target mainly nutrition, it sounds like, and diet along with recovery on um, with regards to the outcomes or the prescription, the RX of these tests. Is that, am I understanding that correctly?
0: Yeah.
1: Yes. Okay. So then given, let's say, a population of athletes that I always come across that, um, really struggle to lose weight, for example, and are tired of the narrative, quite honestly, of, well, you just got to eat right and do a little bit of training, but, and they've been doing that for years. What's your thoughts there? Cause I'd be curious about that. That probably addresses a lot of people that, Seem to think as well as display that they're doing the right thing, Um, but a more targeted personal approach of what again, gut microbiome, what they're actually absorbing, diet choices with regards to plant-based versus meat versus vegan and vegetarian, blah blah blah, and and if that's actually effective for them, and so forth. Where, Where do you where does that all come in? Because that's basically the diet question. Um, and nutrition question of the blood test itself.
0: Yeah, yeah, and this is this is why it's so important to have people, you know, looking at these. Um, I, I don't want to use the word clinically, but you know, as an individual. So, if somebody says in you know their questionnaire, "I'm struggling to lose weight," we get the report back. The first thing we want to you know address is is that question. Is there anything that this report can tell me that, you know, might help answer that question, you know, Mm -hmm. or so, you know, then we look at tests that will give us an idea of, you know, is this preservation? And and our bodies have this amazing ability to, you know, drift into this preservation mode if something, if a balance is off. So, you know, and that balance can be either hormonal or it can be micronutrient. So if you're you know, wildly deficient in, you know, something, let's let's call it iron, you know, your body's gonna do everything that it can to avoid burning iron. Now, the first thing that it's gonna do is create the symptom of fatigue, which decreases your motivation to go and burn iron. But there are other factors. So, or is this, you know, does everything look great, and maybe that weight is ideal for you? Or maybe they, we have to drift into you know, microbiome. I guess to, to get back to the question, it's this process of deduction, deducting based on an individual and then trying to compare to a peer group as close as we can match it within
1: our database. Gotcha. So that's a little bit more proprietary with regards to how you're applying specific data like that across your own database of similar athletes or similar profiles.
0: Yeah. So our goal in our database is to continue to drill this down to, you know, how many Garrett rocks do we have in the database that we compare the next Garrett rock to. Um, And of course, there's only one me, right? Um, I'm unique. But yet, (laughs) you know, when it comes to data, there's a lot of folks that are very similar to me, Mm -hmm. um, at least from a a genetic and physiological profile. And that should be the starting point. That's, you know, that's the foundation. And again, I don't believe for a second that we're going to be able to algorithm um, our way through identifying optimal anytime really soon, optimal for an individual. And, you know, AI is starting to do its work. We're punching it into our data. And we've got a long ways to go before these you know algorithms are replacing the mind of a clinician. Now, I am a firm believer in data and coming as close to absolute as you can. But just thinking about you know, that deduction process that's tough to do when you're combining you know, these environmental factors, one of which is the mind. So mm-hmm. yeah, we've got a ways to go.
1: And what's the downside? What's the limiters of the blood testing?
0: I think the downside for some people could be just worry, concern. Relying too much on the numbers and not enough on how they're feeling, uh, and saying, you know, my numbers look good and therefore I can go nuts, but today I don't feel that good. And so, if anything, it would be the hyper analytical <laughs> um, athlete. And, and I think the hyper analytical athletes are drawn to finding numbers or looking for numbers that rationalize whatever they're doing, and neglecting, you know, how we're feeling that day. And, you know, our body, if we listen to our bodies really closely, and we have enough experience within a certain activity, you know, a lot of times our bodies are going to drift us to the most appropriate yeah, answer. Yeah. <laughs> the challenge that we have is, it's, it's like the tipping point. And you drift into a higher state of uh, consciousness if you will when we're trying new things um achieving that higher state of awareness or, or consciousness related to that activity is, is challenging
1: and it's a muscle i mean we talk about that a lot on this podcast it's a muscle that um, needs to be strengthened and flexed with regards to knowing how to listen to your body what the signals are at times even it's whispering and mm-hmm. knowing how to hear that amongst all the daily noise so you know, it's interesting to me with regards to the blood test, because also where I'm sort of migrating to is it's another data point. Let's say we're talking athletes so often these days with HRV and patterns and all kinds of different the risk to testing data and VO2 max and lactate threshold testing and oxygen uptake and lab here, lab there. Versus listening to your body, feeling the training, and using all this data as an input, but it's not the reason why we're doing everything. Um, It's just another data point to use to validate our progress and progression versus um, it being the only platform we pull from in order to do our training and progression.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and even as somebody who's lived in this data for a long time, to me, you know, I've always thought of it or have long thought of it as a foundation. And the more I live in it, the more that idea is solidified to me and that it's the foundation to which you build upon. It ultimately, the ability to listen and do exactly what you were saying there um, is without the two, or or I guess combining the two is, is an optimal pathway to me. Of course, I'm going to come in with a bias that, you know, data really matters (laughs) (laughs) because we see, we see a lot of the folks that are not getting it right. I, I think there's a strong argument that people could get it right on their own if they're completely in tune and have the right amount of experience.
1: We'll get it right, as well as with the tools and the data that's available to them in a reasonable manner. It's not like this is exorbitantly expensive that you can't use this data along with other testing data. And then from those tools, those different data points and different insights, coming up with an ideal personalized training plan lifestyle plan, quite honestly, that really fit you with regards to training, with regards to sleep, with regards to nutrition, with regards to recovery, so that you're putting that all into an individual custom tailored plan that you based with some help, maybe from coaching, as well as other experts that you can literally see how and feel how you're progressing optimally for yourself
0: yes and knowing what the problem could be once you have a profile on yourself i know for me i i utilize iron at a very high rate and if i am really ramping up my training and i start to get fatigued because i haven't paid enough attention to my diet i know what it most likely is and i can just take action and i'm going to know in days based on how I
1: feel, whether or not that was the right action. Yeah, iron is a pretty quick hit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you feel that pretty quickly. You sure do. <laughs> Especially in your breathing and your heart rate and yeah. overall at the end of just the next workout. Yeah, uh, so,
0: so thinking of like triaging, I don't feel good today, what could it be? By having that knowledge uh, that tests provide, you're able to, to triage that, The differential diagnoses, if you will, pretty efficiently. Whereas without it, gosh, it could be anything, you know? know, Yeah. I hear all the time. I don't, I just think I'm not drinking enough water.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that one. (laughs) We we get that a lot too. (laughs) It's like, all right. If you think that's it, good. That should be a quick fix. Let me know how you feel tomorrow.
2: (laughs) I have a question though, related to this. So there are a lot of things that I think an athlete can intuit along these lines of what you were just talking about with iron. For example, sex hormones, electrolytes, you can pay attention to how you're feeling, what you're thinking, and get a pretty good read on these things, even without a blood test, uh, potentially. And you know, there are certain bases athletes can cover. So my question is twofold. One, how are you guys seeing low iron manifest specifically? And two, where are the blind spots where you just can't feel something that the blood test would then identify?
0: Yeah, that's an excellent question. So iron manifests, if we're going to, I guess, talk broadly, um, females are at very high risk of iron deficiency. And what we see very often is in, in female athletes that have some sort of gastrointestinal disorder Um, and and that could be irritable bowel syndrome that could be uh, emotional stress causing or or contributing to inflammation etc what we'll tend to see if if they're supplementing then we're going to see high serum iron or normal serum iron or we see low ferritin so knowing the ratio of iron serum iron to ferritin is is really important to us because that's giving us an idea of just whether you're keeping up or not keeping up and and also how quickly your body is utilizing that iron so if we see you know low ferritin but serum iron is okay the chances that that athlete is going to actually have symptoms of fatigue or performance decline is really high because their body with low ferritin is going to go into some state of protection. And that's, that's a sneaky one.
1: But more common, more common than people realize.
0: It's very common. Um, In fact, ferritin below ideal. In I was just looking yesterday, a female long course triathlon athletes is 56%.
1: Yeah. That does not surprise me at all. I mean, it's, it's a, constant and it's just automatically associated with oh I'm just tired or life stress and mm-hmm. so forth versus digging deeper yeah, yeah
0: but then you know so you know several years ago we went through the the iron supplementation craze everybody should just supplement iron after I can't remember when that study came out maybe this was i want to say eight years ago or so study came out showed the percentage of athletes that were low in iron or deficient in iron. So we all began supplementing iron. Uh, well, there's a lot of unintended consequences that come from blind supplementation. You know, the one that's easy to highlight is overabundance. So iron overload, you know, that occurs in about 11% of female long course triathletes, the same group. <laughs> so if you look at that, 56% are are low in iron, 11% are over. The majority of people don't have the iron nut, correct? (laughs) So, you know, with iron manifesting, I mean, David, to answer your question, we see, generally speaking, more people are going to be low than high. And then when you look at why they're low, this is where we have, you know, the genetic data paired with the blood data. It's not genetic affinity, uh, meaning it's not a hereditary Reason that they're low, we have a very high rate in this country in particular and across the world of different absorption issues caused by stress caused by maybe the food weed. there are a million reasons um and iron is one that is a bit fickle when it comes to you know the absorption cascades and pathways and and uh it seems to be seems to be affected. So that's the iron. David, what was, can you repeat the other part of your question?
2: Certainly. So what other hidden gaps do you see show up in the blood work that people just could not intuit despite all the experience as a master's athlete in the world?
0: Boy, that's a, that is a good question. Um, I think a lot of the gaps and I'm going to take a little bit roundabout answer to this, but a lot of those gaps that occur have to do with our our past. So let me use one example. Athletes that have a history of an eating disorder have a very, very high rate of micronutrient absorption disorders not associated with genetic predisposition. So there's something that carries with us um, over time. And and we don't have I don't have the answer to that. Um, ABT doesn't. I'm sure somebody has some strong theories, but there's something that carries over time with that particular problem. Now that's just one problem, and there are others as well. Um, If we look at ratio of of athlete blood test users. You know, we have a really high rate of folks that have had eating disorders and using our system, and so they're running into problems that are causing them to seek out an answer that lead them to athlete blood test. And so, if I were to say, I mean, I I can't say that we have, and this is an anecdote, of course, but I can't say that we've seen consistently like people just cannot recognize the symptoms of. You know, SA of sex hormone binding globulin going up and free testosterone going down or a folate deficiency or red blood cells, you know, or red blood cells not being produced fast enough. I mean, a lot of those symptoms are gonna overlap and people just come saying, I don't feel that great. But where we see and and they won't feel great, right? It'll manifest the symptoms. But where we see these sneaky things that are just almost impossible to point back to a cause and thus create a, a predictable future, it would be in your past.
1: Yeah, I can see that, especially in this sport and um, uh, world that we are in. Let me ask you this before David jumps into the next question. Um, so I would, I would think of the confirmation bias aspect here a little bit. And so I'm wondering how often athletes come with an interest in a test and get a test because they're feeling off? And how often is there nothing really there? Um, or or what yeah. do you frequently see that? Because for them to see, then have something to point at is is a nice, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know, excuse, but a narrative.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I really like this question because I, I like to look at the subjective data. I'm a, a huge fan of trying to understand how what folks are feeling when they come in, and then what the output is. So I actually have some numbers committed to memory, and that is uh, male users of athlete blood tests, 43% of them are reporting faster fatigue uh, during training than normal. 41% of females are reporting that. Let's see, 55% of female users um, rate how they're feeling during training at a three or below on a scale of one to five. So, so basically in, if you look at males, that's 56% and on and on and on. We, we have a bunch of different questions we ask, you know, rate, how you're feeling rate, general sense of well-being, et cetera. Most of our users come in not feeling that well. And, and I assume that they find us because they're not feeling that well. People that feel well, Tend not to use us, and, and we hope to change that in the future because prevention is is probably a good strategy. But uh, so that being said, now looking at the percentage of folks that have a a condition and um, physiological condition that is severe enough to cause symptoms in our system is, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a number out there that I don't know this number. I would. Look it up for you guys, but I'm going to guess it's around 20 to 25 percent. So the numbers don't match. So yeah, on the question of you know confirmation bias, the majority of people that use our system are not finding the cause to their not feeling that well, and and we know we have those days. We've all had them in this group. Of you know, I had one of those weeks last week where I just felt a little bit off, and and uh this week, I feel like I could run up Kilimanjaro.
1: But it's an interesting conversation piece there because the way I would see it too is, and and just how I interact with athletes over the last 25 years is you try so many different things and you see it's still not working. You start diving into diet and lifestyle choices and you're recognizing or you're, you're, almost hoping, quite honestly, that, all right, maybe a blood test will give us some more insights because I just can't seem to narrow down why it is you're not absorbing the training, why it is you're struggling here. And, um, and quite honestly, it's the education over the years as well of what you're actually absorbing nutritionally, despite your best intentions, <laughs> it becomes a big warning signal to say, okay, you know what, we need to find out, we need to know better if that path or that reasoning is not justified. So for you to say a large percentage of people that come to take the test are struggling with something, I could totally see, uh, understand that. Yeah,
0: and, in, and that's where, I, in my opinion, having a coach is, is a really great strategy. Because coaches tend to have that experience of, you know, should we, should we jump to action here? And in the speed at which we as individual athletes will jump to action is, is, well, it's high because, you know, the next workout matters that much, right? I'm not going to have a great race if I don't get my perfect workout in next time tomorrow (laughs) and my last one sucked (laughs) so yeah yeah, but but ultimately you know our data would would support you in saying that symptoms should reside over time and you should walk through that mental process of what could this be what else do i have going on before starting to to think that this could be a, a physiological
1: problem yeah
0: and And especially if you have a baseline, Now we have users that test frequently through us, and
1: when you say frequently, what's frequently? I would say you know three to to five times per
0: year would be a very frequent user okay. you know most people are gonna are gonna use us one to three times and then drift off and they're gonna disappear for a while and and then maybe come back if they up the game um jump from one distance to. A further distance, for example, in the endurance world.
1: I need to do some marketing for you. We we need to we need repeat <laughs> users here, <laughs> I am, which is interesting, though, right? Because you talked about type A, you'd be. You'd actually think that the type A athlete would be curious to get more data in order to constantly see the swings and interactions, whether they're there or not. It's just, I want to know, I want to know more, I want something to point at. And so therefore, more. that actually surprises me that it's not, you know, three to five tests a year for uh, five, six years in a row.
0: Yeah. And and maybe that is contributed to by our goal is to provide them predictable information. And so once we have, especially those three tests or genetic plus, which our most popular panels are our most expensive panels, it's the platinum panel, it's the gold panel, it's the ABT sheet panel. And those have a pretty high ability to predict the future. And, And our goal is to provide as much information about the future to prevent problems and so maybe we're contributing to
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and too good of a test and too good of a prediction format interesting yeah that's that's great to hear um look, well we don't want to go too long maybe just a, a couple more questions i know on my end i'm sorry david to keep uh, Keep you at bay here. Do you see a difference with regards to the testing approach, outcomes, need on shorter, more explosive sports, me being a swimmer by background, versus endurance sports and, and how that's uh, affecting the blood test um, data?
0: Yeah, generally speaking, in the recreational athlete, masters athlete, yes. Um, and, and so training under five hours a week. Has a very low incidence of anything that requires action. Once Interesting. You, yeah, once you hit the eight hour a week mark, it basically is a hockey stick um, in that population. Wow,
1: wow. that's yeah, that's yeah. You know, it just brings all those things to the surface. Um, but also from an intensity standpoint, I'm wondering. Let's say higher intensity, explosive um, work versus aerobic, <laughs> zone two, go all day work.
0: Yeah, aerobic, go all day endurance has a much higher rate of problems and potential problems uh, in what we call risk ranges of, of biomarkers than short, explosive, uh, without a doubt, absent <laughs> of. The one exception to that would be NFL. In the NFL, mm-hmm. we see a lot of problems that, that is Uh, directly attributable (laughs) to eating that fast food (laughs) 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 restaurants,
1: But it's interesting too, from a philosophical standpoint, what you're um, seeing with regards to the physiological, the physical, excuse me, physical response to endurance training, as well as what I come across in the mental Mm -hmm. response to endurance training is that those issues, whether you have them physically or mentally, they come forward in the longer you go in training. Um, and uh, we don't see that, or I don't see it in most athletes on shorter, um, I would say that sort of that five to seven hour window per week too. It's If it's less than that, you're not tuning in to the to that, that higher self, um, for, for my use of words, but you go longer, you're, you're, you're in your head a little, a little bit more, and we see a totally different conversation and awareness coming about, um, and why I love to coach endurance athletes, quite honestly. So, all right, well, David, anything left here? We don't want to keep Garrett too long.
2: Uh, yes. how often do you see just one or two biomarkers that are completely off and everything else looks good versus seeing a broad spectrum of everything just being low what what are the the big data sets showing yeah you?
0: the the former is by far more common it's uh, we see one to two biomarkers being off far more often than somebody I was going to say hot mess. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Globally off. Um, Yeah, it's, it's usually one or two things. And, you know, if we look at our user profiles in our, you know, direct to consumer or, you know, through coaches, you know, this is predominantly endurance athletes. This is a very motivated group. This is a very, a group that's engaged in, being healthy. And so I think that contributes. So what we are seeing when we combine the genetic with the blood data is that this is a either, uh, there's an influence here. It's either an environmental influence, again, environment being all those things that we talked about earlier, or it's hereditary. And it's one of those liabilities to our well-being as an athlete that would be tough to come by without a test or tough to to understand without a test.
1: So that would be a tendency to ignore the signals that we're not aware of at, that are signals.
0: Yeah, and, and yeah, like it, you know, it's recurrent.
1: That's uh, that's actually, and that's the profile of endurance athletes as well. Just sort of push through. I don't got time mm-hmm. for this. You know, consistency will pay dividends, and I will ignore the temporary signals that are coming up. Um, and then that become permanent signals. Mm-hmm. So
2: okay. are there, you already mentioned iron and, you know, of course there's D3 and B12 potentially, uh, real quick. Are there any other uh, of those one or two things that jump out is really low in an otherwise decent, um, blood panel. Do you see other things? I would assume testosterone is a big one.
0: Testosterone. Um, yeah. And I guess sticking to the, uh, the micronutrients, folate is, is perhaps the the sneakiest. And David, maybe this goes back to your question earlier. Maybe the sneakiest micronutrient that that I think exists. It's it has a really high rate of being low, and that is it's twenty two percent across our our users, and that's a high percentage, you know, for something that is fortified. Um, in many of our foods. And of course, it's folic acid. But we also have a, right now, we have a, a pretty high rate of methylation disorders you know, across the population. Some studies have shown as much as 50%. And, and of course, that's a, a hot topic. And, wow. and we don't have yeah. time to get into that. But folate is one that creates, uh, I guess, a lot of symptoms and in athletes that we see and that we end up addressing a lot with very positive responses or outcomes after it's addressed exclusively so we have absolute proof that it was the problem
1: wow yeah. and nutrition i assume right nutrition yeah yeah exactly. yeah well that goes <laughs> That's, back to what we talked about in the beginning you,
2: um about uh Multivitamins, right? That yeah. you know, if you're throwing um, folic acid, which is a lab-made artificial version of folate, at a at a folate deficiency, you know, it's a very ineffective solution to a problem, as opposed to a, a methyl folate, or more realistically, just eating a lot of leafy greens.
1: And again, what I keep hearing is narrowing down what it could be, um, tendencies, direction, um, reducing the likelihood of other things so that, again, a pinpointed conversation as well as other insights allow for certain things to be ruled out and so forth, so that you're putting yourself into a position of understanding yourself better and knowing what to look for.
0: We are one part of the, the performance team.
1: Well, Garrett, this has been great, and I really appreciate it. Where are you, by the way? We're in Colorado. Yeah, I actually
0: live in Steamboat Springs, so... (laughs) I'll be out there for Run Rabbit. Oh, fantastic. Well, we'll have to get together. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool.
1: (laughs) Well, good. So where can people find you with regards to learning more about the athlete blood test, as well as what you would recommend on how to go through these steps and process, which test let's say is most frequently used, just sort of a short blurb here to close us out that people have something to point to.
0: Yeah. The the easiest place to start acquiring information is on our website and it's is creatively named as our name and as athlete bloodtest.com. There's a knowledge hub on there that people are just looking for who are curious. Uh, we've got some smart folks in our group and much smarter than I am. And so there's there's different perspectives that you know live within the blogs. We all share the same perspective as far as you know how to approach an athlete. We're highly standardized, but it's fun to read through the different authors of the blogs because you just they read a little bit different. And that the website is also a, a good place to see you know what the tests that we offer off the shelf are. You can customize things. And also if you have a you know a science question or question regarding order, if you just send an email, to our general email, which is on the website. We direct those questions accordingly. So, I mean, some people come in and they ask hardcore science questions, and that's going to go to our science team, and you're going to get a, a person responding to it. We're very boutique We're not huge. Each customer is important to us.
1: That's great. That's great. And I like that she test. They, um, tell us a little bit more about that because I think that really – hits home for a lot of female endurance athletes
0: it does so you know female hormones allow for periodizing uh, which means timing uh, appropriately you know nutritional recommendations which is just the next level of optimization you know at, at different phases of the cycle your nutritional needs are different your response to training to be is going to be different one phase you can Go all out, and and that's the time to go and just crush yourself. And then, you know, the next phase is the one where you just let yourself, you know, read your body every day and, and, you know, recover. And, and so the beauty of having the hormones changing throughout a period of time, which is a month, and then doing that again and again, is that we can tailor training insights and nutritional insights specific to the time of month we can't do with men and so it is it's a better product it's it's as good as it gets out there in the biomarker space
1: great that's wonderful well we appreciate your time today and i think there was a lot of you know little tidbits and nuggets there that are going to be extremely helpful for the endurance athlete listener and um, we look forward to uh, seeing how you guys continue to Offer these tests that are become more and more specific to the needs of all athletes out there and appreciate your time.
0: Yeah, it was really great talking to you guys and fantastic questions. Those were fun.
2: All right, folks, that's a wrap. For those of you interested in getting your own blood test, the Athlete Blood Test has given us a discount code for ordering the test of your choice at athletebloodtest.com 10% off. Use code hout 10 that's H-A-U-T-H, 10, for 10% off at checkout. We would love to hear what you thought of this episode, and we would also love to hear what results you get by using the athlete blood test if you choose to do so. So please email us, chris at aimpcoaching.com and david at aimpcoaching.com. Thank you for listening, stay curious, and happy trails.